What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Today is FOMC Day, so we are going to be waiting for that to drop here in the next couple of minutes, and I'm going to live react to that. Uh, the consensus view is of a pause. Let me pull up the CME tool, sharing my screen. Where is that? This is the CM, CME FedWatch tool. We named our podcast before they named their tool, but it's showing 98.8% that it will be a pause. And I've been waiting for this moment. Uh, if you guys have been listening to my content for a long time, you know, I have been uh, calling for a pause a long time ago. Um, I didn't think that, you know, I thought the deflationary pressure that we're seeing today manifest in CPI, PPI, uh, bank lending, all of that stuff, uh, recession in Europe, recession in China, that that would have happened sooner. Uh, but of course, that didn't wasn't the case. And we've been kind of waiting for this pause to happen. What people are thinking that when this does, when they do pause, uh, let me switch over to the website. When this does, when they do pause, then um, it's going to be a major risk on for stocks, for Bitcoin, for all of these things. Let's take a look at the Bitcoin chart. We have two minutes until the announcement. Bitcoin is up slightly on the day. This is a very compressed period here. It is still kind of looking like a bear flag. There's a lot of confusion in the market. Let's go down to the one hour and let's just go down to the five minute for this reaction. Okay, let me go to the FOMC website. We should see this populate. Still nothing. Got one minute till the initial or till the drop. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking that we're going to see a pause. They won't disappoint the market. If they hike, uh, it could be disastrous. Um, and the market is also showing a mixed signal for next FOMC. You can see that one comes in at the end of July. So we'll see. But overall, the market is saying that by the end of the year, rates will be lower so that they will have to cut uh, before the end of the year. Still nothing on this website. One minute to go. Guys, I am live streaming on YouTube, Twitter, Rumble, Twitch and Telegram, home basis Telegram. You can join that t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. Website is bitcoinandmarkets.com. You can sign up for free notifications and my free weekly newsletter. You can also support the content over there. This is a listener supported podcast, pretty much completely. Okay, let's see. Oh, it has dropped. Let's bring this up. And we have maintain the target rate so they did pause this this is incredible let me read this out here recent indication uh, indicators suggest that economic activity has continued to expand at a modest pace this is boilerplate job gains have been robust robust in recent months and the unemployment rate has remained low inflation remains elevated okay year on year inflation remains elevated and also depending on what you look at for unemployment okay this is the problem. The, the central bankers, they have these, these models. They have these specific uh, variables that they look at. And the reason why they're unable to predict anything is because they're looking at the wrong variables. They're concentrating on the wrong things. 
But anyway, uh, that's not about uh, do they, well, it's also do they even want to predict these things or do they want to just set their messaging up? Uh, I've said that they don't want to pivot too early because then um, it'll be seen as if their pivot didn't matter. If they pivot and the market still crashes, which would be the case, then their pivot doesn't matter and they're impotent. They would rather make it look like they crashed the market by doing too much. But here we have a pause. The U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. More boilerplate. Tighter credit conditions for households and businesses are likely to weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation. The extent to these effects remains uncertain. The committee remains highly attentive to inflation risks. The committee seeks to achieve maximum employment and inflation at the rate of 2% over the longer run. In support of these goals, the committee decided to maintain the target range for the federal funds rate at 5 to 5 and a quarter percent. Holding the target range steady at this meeting allows the committee to assess additional information and its implications for monetary policy. In determining the extent of the additional policy firming that may be appropriate, to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity, inflation, and economic and financial development. So this is getting into more boilerplate again. In addition, the committee will continue reducing its holdings of treasury securities and agency debt and agency more MBS as described in its previously announced plans. The committee is strongly committed to returning inflation to its 2% objective. Okay, so... They continue QT. That's one of the things that people are talking about as well. Does QT matter? Uh, They're not selling anything. They're just letting stuff mature off their balance sheet. Um, But this is the big five to five and a quarter percent. They have paused. Let's go to the charts. All right. Bitcoin is going crazy here. Let's go down to the minute. Uh, big Darth Maul candle there all the way up to 26,080 and down to 25,900 and about 30. So pretty big swings here. We're getting some volatility going on in the Bitcoin price. Let's go to the stock market. S&P 500 selling off hardcore. That's very interesting. A pause should be bullish, but I've said in previous, uh, of these live stream reactions that the initial movement is usually the opposite direction. So we'll have to wait and see how this develops. Selling off pretty good. Let's go to the daily and see how it's looking. I mean, there is zero damage done to the daily stock market chart at all. Let's check out the 10 year. 10 year is not reacting uh, oil. Oil is one of these stories that nobody has gotten right uh, for a very long time. It's extremely weak despite the supply constraints. And I've been watching a lot of Lynn Alden stuff today um, because the guys on Telegram know what I'm talking about there. But um, her calls and many calls were for higher commodity prices. Um, You know, inflation takes the inflation that we experienced the last couple of years took prices up higher to a new higher level. And so she expected commodity prices to continue to um, to accelerate in a sick, you know, um, cyclical fashion. This 15 year bear market for commodities. Now we've entered a 15 year bull market, but that has not been represented at all on the charts. So 
just a heads up on that. Dollar is bouncing. It looks like kind of sold off earlier today, bouncing back up into the 103 handle. Let's take a look back at Bitcoin. I mean, on the daily chart, it just looks flat, flat, flat. It doesn't look like there has really been any reaction to this FOMC drop. But guys, we are living through history right now. Powell, I said Powell wanted to pause. The economic numbers are not that bad. Like a lot of people are talking about, uh, yeah, PPI and CPI and stuff, showing that inflation is over. We had the banking scare in March and April. I'm not saying that the banking scare is completely over, but it does look like as if that has been swept under the rug for the time being. Of course, what what usually happens, and Jeff Schneider talks about this a lot, you know, just because you don't see the flames doesn't mean that the embers aren't still going. I don't know if he uses those exact terms or anything, but the the embers of this banking crisis are still burning, and it's just a matter of time when they flare up again, and I they tend to be seasonal. That's why it happened around the end of Q1, and it will flare up again around the end of Q3, so just be prepared for that. But overall, this year, we've seen higher Bitcoin, higher stocks, and higher bonds. Just the opposite of 2022. All right. Uh, what else? Let me see if I can see any comments on this. I can't really, uh, I'm not good at the streaming software yet, but there are no comments. So let me see. Telegram, if you guys have any comments, you can put them in the comment section for this live stream. I'll bring that up. The Bitcoin price here continues to sell off. As I said, the initial reaction tends to be the opposite of how it eventually ends up for the day. So if we see this big sell-off happening right now, um, it will probably reverse. That's my guess. It's very hard to trade these periods. I don't recommend trading on leverage. The one-hour chart looks kind of sick, guys. It does not look good. But we could, like, put these... A little bit more horizontally you know something like this uh so we're, we're watching this let me uh see if i have any more comments on this the of course powell will will be speaking at 2 30 i'm not going to hang out until then but i will be live chatting on twitter and telegram so again you can join the telegram t.me for slash bitcoin and markets this pause is not a surprise. After yesterday's CPI that I also live streamed, I um, was convinced almost immediately that this was going to lead to a pause. And if you go back and listen to that, um, right when they, like my second sentence after I saw that the CME came in under forecast, I said, oh, they're going to pause. This wasn't inflation. This whole period was. Uh, mainly a supply shock and deglobalization. So it's going to be hard to tell what inflation is because, um, you know, first off, the, the definition of inflation that we don't like that is detrimental to markets is money printing, right? The net supports, not necessarily money printing, it's an increase in the supply of money. And that causes the secondary effect is that causes a general rise in the level of prices. 
And Mises said that it's inevitable. So if you have an increase in the money supply, you inevitably will have an increase, uh, a general increase in prices. Um, so people have been waiting this whole QE era and all of this for this, uh, for a rise in prices that never really manifests itself. Let me stop sharing here for a second. So the inflation never really manifested itself after the great financial crisis. We had very low growth and low inflation. And then we had the supply shock of COVID. Uh, it was actually turning into a recession. It was in recessionary territory prior to COVID. All of 2019 was sliding. And then COVID hit and we shut down the global economy, shut down global supply chains. We were already starting to deglobalize slightly in 2019 even. I mean, the, the trend of, um, what's it called, de-Chinification you know, of your supply chains, that started back in the mid-teens, uh, some companies. And it just picked up pace dramatically during COVID. And so you have this deglobalization effect where people are going to choose slightly higher prices that are less risky. See, the globalization and, and the growth of the last, say, 50 years, 30 years for sure, it was a false feeling of a false sense of security. And so the risk to supply chains was underpriced. They said, oh, we can save pennies outsourcing. And there's no risk. Like, where's the risk? But of course, now we realize that we had been underpricing risk. And so globalization does not make sense, it does, at least at the levels that we had it. So we are going to deglobalize naturally as supply chain risk gets priced in. And that will cause prices to rise. So Mises didn't say that all general price level increases are a result of money printing you know, the reverse backwards deduction. He said, no, that a increase in the money supply will inevitably lead to higher prices. But if all we have to go on is the price level, because we have negated everything else, we can't use M2 because M2 didn't result in a corresponding rise in prices. So we have negated M2 from our logical data set or our data set to, to do these problems here. And so now you're left with, um, we have price increases, 2021, 2022. Why did that happen then? Well, it happened because of supply chains. So we could see higher price levels with lower commodity prices. It's just that the process to make these the same amount of goods is more expensive. And that is going to cause trade-offs. That's going to cause demand destruction uh, and everything. So this is all part of the end of a credit cycle. You know, as we deglobalize, as we realize the risk of globalization, we will start also to um, the credit markets won't make sense either because we have been underpricing the risk in credit markets because this false sense of security that we had for the last 30, 50 years. So as these, all of these costs get priced in, the price levels will be higher. We will be generally less um, well off. And all of these people that think that, you know, all we need to do is get rid of the evil United States and their exploitative system 
are in for a rude awakening because without the linchpin of the global financial system and the globalized system, the rest of it falls apart. China cannot exist without a globalized system. And that this system is going away. Credit is going to be tighter. Um, this actually a deflationary scenario. So we can have deflation and rising prices. That's what it comes down to. But anyway, so uh, getting back to this Fed Open Market Committee, let me share the screen one more time. I will be going over this more in detail and the reactions tomorrow on FedWatch, of course, with Bitcoin Magazine, 1230 Eastern. Don't miss that live stream with Bitcoin Magazine. But the FOMC have said that they are going to maintain the target range for the Fed funds at five to five and a quarter. I would love to see what the markets are going to price in for the next rate hike um, in or the next policy decision in July. Some metrics before this were saying that probably hike one more time, but by the end of the year, they would have to be cutting. Maybe they'll be cutting sooner rather than later. Now, this also is not a stimulatory effect because um, you have to pause or cut because the economy is starting to slow down. It's it's the opposite, you know, cause and effect. Most people think the cause is the cutting of rates and the effect is stimulus, uh, stimu stimulus, but that's not the case. It's the falling economy is the cause and the pause and the rate cuts are the effect. So this just tells you that the, the economy is starting to return to that zero growth bound. Real GDP is approaching zero and they're worried that we're going to enter a recession. And so that's why they will pause. But okay, let's get back into the charts real quick before I let you guys go. Again, I live stream a lot of these reactions to the you know, CPI and to the Fed all the time. Bitcoin is kind of just chilling out, 25,843. Nothing big has changed. We'll see if I'm correct that the initial reaction will be reversed. Let's go to stocks. And we have it on the one-hour chart here. And stocks have sold off significantly, but we'll see what happens. It did come down here and close this gap from back here. So this gap has now been closed and we'll see if once that has now closed that we can rally now again. But anyway, none of this changes my fundamental base case for the next couple quarters. Bitcoin should rally, stocks should rally, bonds should rally. And then end of Q3 is the next seasonal period we should look for trouble in the financial system. All right. So that's it, guys. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's the home base. Support my content if you feel like it. This is a listener-supported show, and I appreciate everybody that does support. I will be getting a Market Pro newsletter out. That's for my premium subscribers. I'll get that out here by the end of the week. Appreciate you guys supporting at that tier. And that's going to do it, guys. Thanks. See you on the next one. Bye. All right, Telegram. I didn't share any of the charts there. Sorry about that. But uh, what do you guys got? Any comments? Thought we were going to see some more action. Let me check out 
zero hedge and see if they have any like live reporting. A lot of people are going to be watching the presser that is going to happen at 2.30. Yes, Fed pauses after 10 rate hikes signals very hawkish outlook. Since the last FOMC statement, on May 3rd, where Powell hiked rates 25 basis points, but offered some dovish speak during the presser, stocks have soared. Well, to be more accurate, mega cap tech stocks have exploded higher. Well, okay, I've seen that too, that the stock market rally is narrow. And that means that there's just a few stocks, like say 5% of stocks are rallying. And that's what we should expect from asset price inflation. You saw that for a decade with the fangs. Remember, they if you took the fangs performance for the last 15 years out of the stock market, it's flat or down. So it's always these mega caps that do this. And that is a sign of asset price inflation because money will flee to these more secure type assets. So we should expect this to continue. Most definitely. Um, while Bitcoin has been dumped, okay, the dollar is modestly higher with gold and bonds slightly lower. NASDAQ has been euphoric.com-esque, while the Dow is barely green since the last FOMC. The market expectations for Fed rate changes has swung wildly, plunging dovishly on the FOMC and then soaring hawkishly back with December expectations, swinging from 100 basis points of cuts to 2.5 basis points of hikes. How can you hike 2.5 basis points? That's pretty much just a pause. Notably, stocks have recently completely ignored the tightening financial conditions. True, but that's what we should expect during asset price inflation because credit creation is being focused into a narrower beam. And where does that beam go? Well, right now it's not going into real estate. That would be one area that could take off a little steam off of the stock market. Um, It's not being into real estate because of high rates, but that that can change very quickly. Um, Bonds are kind of mixed because they are uh, price bond prices are up for the year still, but they are somewhat mixed here. Remember I've shown the 10 year being in its happy place for a long time. This kind of newer, lower equilibrium and, um, It's not really picking a direction because of the uncertainty around the Fed. But once now the Fed has provided some certainty, some certainty, we should see bonds start to rally and, you know, yields going down, stocks continuing higher, but maybe taking a little bit of the exuberance out of stocks, just a little bit. And we should also see Bitcoin turn around. So, and maybe housing will turn around too. If like the 10 year drops precipitously. If you know, if the 10 year drops to 3%, we're going to see a rally in the housing market. Okay. Um, finally, we also get a new SEP today. That is their something of economic projections. I forget what the S stands for, um, which is likely to be key as a signaling tool for the pause, skip, no cuts narrative going into the meeting. The market has converged hawkishly to the Fed's 2023 year-end expectations. Remains more dovish in 2024 
expecting more rate cuts, but then considerably more hawkish in 2025, rate cuts reigniting inflation. All right. The Fed pause. The Fed holds benchmark at five to five and a quarter. Fed says extent of additional firming to hinge on the economy. We read that. Fed says holding retail or sorry, holding rates allows FOMC to assess additional data. We read that as well. New projections show policymakers favor 50 basis points of additional increases this year. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Which would push borrowing costs to about 5.6% higher than most economists and investors have been expecting. All right. Of the 18 FOMC participants, nine are penciling in two or more hikes, and three have written down even more hikes than that. That is a very strong consensus for at least two more hikes. Again, this is a signaling tool, though, right? They don't want to pause and not signal more hawkishness because then people will get too dovish and then they think it will help to reignite inflation, whatever the hell that means. Finally, we note the delusional forecast of economic growth and core inflation rose from 2023 while unemployment projections fell. All right. And that's it for that article on Zero Hedge. Scanning the headlines. Nothing else. Let's go back and check the the charts. The S&P is still selling off. Very interesting. Must be that hawkish language. Oil is down. What else do we have here? Bitcoin is down. Uh, This gets to, I think it was Reed yesterday that asked the question, um, about the sympathetic moves of Bitcoin and stuff. I think when stocks are down, you know, the algos are taking over. This isn't necessarily a the primary market. So Bitcoin's fundamentals are not what's driving the Bitcoin price on a day-to-day or maybe a minute-to-minute or hour-to-hour, whatever. It is the correlation with the stock market. And so these algos are getting ahead and if the stock market is crashing, you know, they're going to not be buying Bitcoin. But as soon as the stock market turns around, which I fully still expect it to do, uh, this will be bullish for the Bitcoin price for that same reason. All right, let me see if there's any hands up, any comments in the channel. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to end it there. I'm going to be watching the press conference and live stream and maybe. Can I do that on here? Let's see. I want to share a window, not an entire screen. So what I'll have to do is open up another. Bear with me here for a second. I will just go right into watching this on live on Telegram. Pals wanted to pause. He is, does not want to be, there we go. Oh, I have to minimize this then. Okay, yep, when I open this up, I hope you guys can see that fine. Um, Okay, so this will be the press conference. I'll just let it roll here. Maybe I'll say some more stream of consciousness stuff. 
I hope this is not showing up. If you guys could tell me when I minimize this, does that go away? Are you seeing the full screen now? Because I can't tell. <laughs> uh, I guess it doesn't matter. I only have one screen on my computer. So there you go. Ah, we got it. So it's not showing anything. Let's make sure the audio is coming through. Some elevator music there for the FOMC. All right, that should be right. Okay. Let me check Twitter and see if anybody's saying anything here. So I'm liking Croesus, Jesse Myers. Uh, he has, I've of course been familiar with his stuff in the past, but he's been running across my feed a lot more, probably because I'm liking some of his posts, you know, so it runs across your feed more. And that's one of the problems with not being active on Twitter for a year is that you don't run across people's feeds because they haven't even had a chance to like anything because you haven't said anything for a year. But anyway, um, the he had something a reply to one of my things here from a couple days ago actually let's see it was this one and this is where i said hey you know the cpi is going to drop off even more maybe even a full percent for year over year number on the next one because it's replacing the highest uh, in the series, the highest month over month in the series. And uh, he responded that waiting for the deflationary crunch that inspires the massive stimulus. And then he did an upside down head. And I don't know if he was trying to say that I'm the one that's waiting for a deflationary crunch, hoping for a massive stimulus. But anyway, I responded and I said the, the following, not stimulus, but band-aids. The system is in a terminal debt grind because the form of the money Stimulus can never get ahead of it because stimulus is just more burden. The only way stimulus can work with credit-based money is through a rise in productivity, which we haven't seen. You know, we've seen either sideways or down productivity for years. Let me check. Oh, he's on. Uh -oh. My colleagues and I remain. I missed. I missed some. There he is. Jay Powell. Jay Powell in the house. What's going on, Jay Powell? <laughs> Thinking of all those, the voiceovers of him. That's Good funny. afternoon. My colleagues and I remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. We understand the hardship that high inflation is causing and we remain strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Mm -hmm. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve. Without price stability, the economy doesn't work for anyone. In particular, without price stability, we will not achieve a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. Since <clears throat> early last year, the FOMC... I'm going to pause it during this. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to keep up with him, but... 
If stable prices is the goal, set prices. That's how you know it's a stupid goal. That it doesn't make sense what they're saying. Because if you really wanted to stable prices, you would set prices. But guess what? We know for a fact that setting price controls is deleterious to economic activity and deleterious to the economy. So stable prices is a ass-backwards goal. Some You want prices to move, people. I don't know why that's... I'm, you're listening here. You get it. But you want prices to move. Why would you ever want stable prices? If you have, like, runaway inflation, yeah, stop printing money. That's pretty easy. Stable prices is a faulty goal. You should want uh, to facilitate economic activity. But then you start going down the road of how do you do that exactly? Because like people have said, CK said it last week on FedWatch. Bruce Fenton said it on that reaction video that I did on his stuff is that central planning doesn't work. And of course, I say that all the time. Central planning doesn't work. It's actually counterproductive. So these guys doing their central planning, what exactly are they planning on here? Stable prices? That's such a nebulous goal that doesn't even make sense because we don't want stable prices. We want price fluctuations to relay information about the market. So anyway, let's keep going. MC has significantly tightened the stance of monetary policy. We have raised our policy interest rate by five percentage points, and we've continued to reduce our securities holdings at a brisk pace. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. What did he say right there? At a brisk pace policy. We have raised our policy interest rate by five percentage points, and we've oh, continued yeah. to reduce our securities holdings at a brisk pace. We've covered... I thought he was going to say that they, or I thought he was saying they raised their reverse repo rate by five basis points, but he said five percentage points for the uh, Fed funds target. Covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. In light of how far we've come in tightening policy, that's just a, a cop out. You know this lag, economic lag. It's really just a cop out. They are waiting. They they will adjust based on current economic data and so yeah i i don't i don't think there's any i mean i understand that there it takes time for the market to adjust to certain inputs but the fed is not a mechanical input they follow the market look at the cme tool that we were looking at the FedWatch tool it said they were going to pause and they followed the market it's not about lag that's only if there were actual mechanical machinations going on. The uncertain lags with which monetary policy affects the economy. Of course, it's uncertain because it doesn't exist. And potential headwinds from credit tightening. Today, we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. Looking ahead, nearly all committee participants view it as likely that some further rate increases will be appropriate this year to bring inflation down to 2% over time. Yeah, see, that's just, whoa, whoa, guys, market, don't get ahead of us. Don't get ahead of us. See, that that's one thing I pointed out a while back was um, how exactly do you stop without the market front running you? 
Well, you do things like this. You pause, you say, oh no, but this is just a pause and we expect to continue hiking. You know, so they're, they're doing this very careful balancing act to try not to let the market front run them. I think this is interesting. And I will have more to say about monetary policy after briefly reviewing economic developments. <clears throat> the U.S. economy slowed significantly last year, and recent indicators suggest that economic activity has continued to expand at a modest pace. Although growth in consumer spending has picked up this year, activity in the housing sector remains weak, largely reflecting higher mortgage rates. Higher interest rates and slower output growth also appear to be weighing on business fixed investment. Committee participants generally expect subdued growth to continue. In our summary of economic projections, the median projection has real GDP growth at 1.0% this year and 1.1%. Let's pause on this chart here a little bit. So it's a summary of economic projections. I couldn't remember what the S stood for. But um, okay, so their projection here on this is for real GDP. Remember, that's nominal minus inflation to stay above zero. They are not predicting or projecting any recession whatsoever. That's very interesting. They're not even in the uncertainty bars here. So these bars would be like the range of all projections. And then the thicker bar would be the cent- oh, so, uh, range of projections. Yes. And then the box is the central tendency. So maybe like the mid 50 percentile or something and then median projection is the red line so that red line doesn't even maybe it gets down to about one percent maybe a little bit below one percent but then jumps back up in 2025 up to two percent but again like just look at this guys look at this chart and think of what i've been saying about low growth low inflation that's exactly what they're predicting now we have gone on this roller coaster. Look at the roller coaster here on the left. Negative 2%, up to 6%, back down to 1% or wherever we're at now, and then flatlining. That is a return to post-GFC normal of low growth and low inflation. And even the academic economists, which, man, too bad that they... I don't like to say that they agree with me here because that's not a good sign, (laughs) but even they with their, you know, huge algorithms and huge calculators and whatever they're figuring out, this is their projection. And it's just crazy that it it corresponds to pretty much what I've been saying. I think it might not get to 2%, but it, you know, it'll stay around between zero and 2% for the foreseeable future until the next shock. And what is that next shock? A lot of people are expecting it to be some sort of conflict with China. I don't personally think that. Um, It might be an external shock, like the CCP going under. That would be a huge shock to the global supply chains and the global economy that could make everybody go negative and have another gyration schedule. Okay, so this is... Returning to post-GFC normal, we cannot grow. That was what I was going to read here. And I know I'm delaying this, this watching this uh, stream here, but let me go back to what I responded to Jesse Myers. I said, when we had a gold standard, they could debase versus the gold. And this is one thing that 
Lynn Alden was saying in some of the stuff I, cause I went back and watched some of her interviews from uh, 2021 and 2022 to see what she had been saying. Anyway, um, she was saying in 1940s, they debased and they had spikes of inflation and all this, but they could debase against the gold. You know, they could print money relative to gold. But I tell Jesse here that today with money as debt, there is no way to debase directly. It's like if on a gold standard, you could print gold. But that gold had to eventually be destroyed again, plus interest destroyed. So you have a point where you need an ever-increasing amount of printing to stay ahead of the burn. You print more money and you burn even more. So they to get out of that cycle, you need productivity to rise. But now we don't have that um, because we're at the end of this credit cycle where productivity is being dragged down by the debt burden. We're at the end of this debt cycle. And this is unique in, in history because we do not have a commodity to debase against. You cannot debase the dollar because it's based on itself. Like literally. So I say we could compare it to the 40s, but without the ability to debase our way out. There is no way out of exponential debt and greater exponential debt burden in a system where money is debt. We will get lower growth, lower net inflation until we shift our way out to a new form of money. Effective debasement can only happen now with a shift to a backing with which to debase against. That is why they will go back to gold or go back to Bitcoin. And when they do, they will set the rate, the, the peg, at a debase level. Whether it's a 25% debasement or whatever, just look at history and look at how these currencies would move the pegs and they would debase against gold. You know, Britain has a long history of that where they slowly debased against gold. Of course, the Roman Empire debased against silver or whatever. Um, the U.S. was debasing against gold as well from 20 to 35. Then they went off, but they have to come back and set it somewhere. So it, it's easier to think about in gold because it's a smaller number. So uh, at 2,000 an ounce, right, that's the market rate right now. But to reback the dollar with gold and debase it at the same time, you simply set it at $5,000 an ounce. And this is something that Jim Rickards has been talking, you know, he talked about in his books a long time ago, Currency Wars. And I think it's a good framework to use. Now we can use that with Bitcoin. And the market price today is 28,000. And then if you, or 27,000, whatever, what is it? Jeez, 26,000. And uh, maybe you think that, you know, you wait a little while, Bitcoin goes up and maybe it hits half a million or something. Of course, you have to buy the gold, you have to buy the Bitcoin in order to back the currency with Bitcoin. So they would be buying, the price would be going up and then whatever market rate it gets to, let's say it gets to a million with the U.S. government buying, 
then they would peg it at 2 million. So they would debase against Bitcoin, just like they debase against dollars. You cannot debase against itself. And that's what the problem we have today that's different than the 1940s and what Lynn Alden says. So that is going to short circuit these things like the commodity cycle that Lynn Alden thinks is coming. It's going to short circuit that because there's nothing to debase against. So we're just going to continue grinding down. Economic activity is going to continue grinding down. Credit markets are grind down. Prices probably will either remain the same, go up. I don't know what exactly what will happen to all prices, but some prices will go up, some prices will go down. I think energy prices will continue to go down, but as globalization breaks down, it will cause prices to go up. So where that nets out is probably relatively even. But we'll have even prices with welfare going down, not welfare as in government payments, but the general welfare going down and prices will stay stable, which means that, you know, obviously you can't buy as many things because you have less money, you're less productive. So that's what's going to happen. That's why there's not going to be a commodity cycle until we change. And the minute, guys, the minute we go, it becomes more clear that we're going to do this because I am very convinced that we will do this. When it becomes clear, that's the time to start making plans to cycle out into other investments maybe. Because, you know, if they peg Bitcoin at 2 million or whatever number it is, commodities are going to rally versus Bitcoin. That's the time. But we're not going to have another commodity cycle until we do something like this, until we can debase, get out of this debt problem. And that sounds bad. And a lot of people are going to be completely wrecked, but not Bitcoiners. Okay, sorry. Let's get back to this. Uh, Next thing. year, well below the median estimate of the longer run normal growth rate. The labor market remains very tight. Over the past three months, payroll job gains averaged a robust 283,000 jobs per month. The unemployment rate moved up but remained low in May at 3.7%. There are some signs that supply and demand in the labor market are coming into better balance. The labor force participation rate has moved up in recent months, particularly for individuals aged 25 to 54 years. Nominal wage growth has shown signs of easing and job vacancies have declined so far this year. While the jobs to workers gap has declined, labor demand still substantially exceeds the supply of available workers. FOMC participants expect supply and demand conditions in the labor market to come into better balance over time, easing upward pressures on inflation. All right, I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. 4%, excluding the volatile food and energy categories, core, P core PCE prices rose 4.7%. In May, the 12-month change in the consumer price index came in at 4%, and the change in the core, core CPI was 5.3%. Inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year. Nonetheless, inflation pressures continue to run high. And yeah, they've moderated on a year-over-year -year basis. I got in an argument with somebody on Twitter, or not argument, you know, I responded to somebody on Twitter that, like, they're, oh, you're Keynesian. You know, you love C CPI. You think CPI is inflation and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's a derivative of a derivative is what you're looking at. 
I'm like, no, bro. You think that I, I applied it to the car crash analogy, you know, if you're taking the average speed for the last, say, 12 seconds and you hit a brick wall, that average speed is going to come down slowly. And the, the crash did not occur slowly. The crash occurred instantaneously. The actual change occurred instantaneously. So the year over year just masks the car crash. And that's what we had in July of 2022 was the, the economy hitting a brick wall nominally. And the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. The median projection in the SEP for total PCE inflation is 3.2% this year, 2.5% next year, and 2.1% in 2025. Core PCE inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, is projected to run higher than total inflation, and the median projection has been revised in the SEP up to 3.9% this year. Despite elevated inflation, longer-term inflation expectations appear to remain well anchored, <clears throat> as reflected in a broad range of surveys of households, businesses, and forecasters, as well as measures from financial markets. The Fed's <clears throat> monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and, price and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes put down their individual assessments Dot plot. An appropriate path for the federal funds rate. Okay, let's take a look at this. So 2023, some of them are thinking, yeah, we talked about the, there's hawkish continuing to raise rates up to looks like about 5.75% is where this bar, this longer bar is where most, most of their projections are centering. But as we move into 2024, you can see there are price cuts built in and 2025 all the way down. So one guy thinks we're going to get all the way down to like 2.25%, it looks like. And then longer run, holding it about 2.5%. So, of course, these dot plots are never correct. Um, but it's interesting. This is a signaling mechanism that they're using here. Based on what each participant judges to be the most likely scenario going forward. If the economy evolves as projected, the median participant projects that the appropriate level of the federal Okay. I'm just going to fast forward to some questions now. ...that waiting will not be counterproductive at a time when the monthly pace of core inflation is still so elevated. Um, interest rate sensitive sectors like housing, while they felt the drag um, of the past Fed actions, um, have started to recover in some regions and financial conditions, um, you know, most recently were easing. So... <clears throat> I guess I would I guess I would go back to the beginning of this tightening cycle to address that. Um, so as we started our rate hikes <clears throat> early last year, we said there were three issues that would need to be addressed kind of in sequence. And that of the speed of tightening, the level to which rates would need to go, and then the period of time over which we'd need to keep policy restrictive. <clears throat> so at the outset, going back 15 months, the key issue was how fast to move rates up, and we moved very quickly uh, by historical standards. Then last December, after four consecutive 75 basis point hikes, we moderated to a pace of, 50, of a 50 basis point hike. And then this year, 
to three 25 basis point hikes at sequential meetings. So it seemed to us to make uh, obvious sense to moderate our rate hikes as we got closer to our destination. So the decision to consider not hiking at every meeting uh, and ultimately to hold rates steady at this meeting, I would just say it's a continuation of, of that process. The main issue that we're focused on now is determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time. So the, the pace of the increases and the ultimate level of increases are separate variables. Given how far it, it, we have come, it may make sense for rates to move higher, but at a more moderate pace. I want to stress one more thing, and that is that the committee decision made today was only about this meeting. We didn't make any decision about uh, going forward, including what would happen at the next meeting, including uh, we did not decide or really discuss anything about going to an every other meeting kind of an approach or, or really any other approach. We really were focused on what to do at this meeting. So there was no kind of initial debate about the possibility of July, any sense of the initial support at this stage for that move? So again, we didn't we didn't make a decision about July. I mean, of course, it, it came up in the in the um, in the meeting from time to time. But really, the focus was on what to do today. I would say about about July, two things. One decision hasn't been made Two, it, I, I do expect that it will be a live meeting. Uh, thanks, Howard Schneider with Reuters. I was just wondering if you could help us understand the, the narrative here, because it, it feels like there's been a level shift in the in the dots. Help us understand the narrative. That's the important thing here. Um, stronger GDP, uh, less of a hit on employment, slower progress on inflation. And I'm wondering, in, in this sort of, where's the disinflation coming from? Uh, sure. The labor market's going to be stronger. It looks like it's not coming from there. Uh, demand's not coming down all that fast, according to GDP. You've doubled your your estimate of GDP. So what's the what's the narrative here? It seems like it's getting more immaculate rather than more messy. So you're you're right that the data came in. I would say uh, consistent with, but on the high side. Now this is what I was saying there uh, a little bit earlier that the nothing in the U.S. data is looking horrible. I mean, yeah, around you have the CPI and PPI plunging, which usually means that there's a problem in the pipeline. You had the banking crisis, but that looks to be swept under the rug for the time being. Uh, you have a crashing nominal GDP, but real GDP is staying elevated. You have supposedly you have a strong um, employment market. So they, it's looking really good. Why would they need to pause? That's the question here. Why would they need to pause? It's a very good question. Side of expectations. So, and if you go back to the old, the, the former SEP, um, the last SEP in March, you will see that growth moved up. These are not huge moves, but growth uh, estimates moved up a bit. Unemployment estimates moved down a bit. Inflation estimates moved up a bit. And you know, the all three of those kind of point in the same direction, which is, you know, uh, uh, that perhaps more will be necessary than we had thought at the last meeting. So, although. The level, frankly, is is pretty. The, the level of 5.6 is pretty consistent if you think about it, where the federal funds rate was trading before the bank incidents of early March. So, but so we've kind of gone back to that. So your question is, where is the where's the disinflation going to come from? And you know, I don't think the story has really changed. <clears throat> we the committee has consistently said and believed that. The Remember, it's not disinflation. Completely. I mean, PPI has actually deflated or gone down. It's not deflation. It has actually gone negative month over month. 
for many months in a row, like four months. It's not necessarily disinflation right now. The process of getting inflation down is going to be a gradual one. It's going. It's only disinflation when you look at a year-on-year basis, and then you're blind. You might as well be blind if you're using year-on-year. It can give you a smoothed-out function, and you can kind of estimate where we'll be in a few months on that year, like a year-on-year basis, where the average will be in a few months. But you can't, it doesn't tell you where we are today. I don't know why that's so hard for people to, you guys understand it, but the normies, they are so stuck on this year-on-year inflation and that we're seeing disinflation. And it's because of this stuff, because Powell talking like this and concentrating on year-on-year, it does not tell you about what's happening currently. It tells you only the average of the last 12 months. And in a period where we have very calm markets, like from say 2011 in the US, 2011 to 2018, we had fairly calm markets. I mean, we had the election of of Trump in 16 that was kind of played some, you know, had some gyrations in the market, but basically it was very calm for those several years. And then the 12 month average is more close to reality but it doesn't tell you what's happening currently so when we have a high volatility in prices it is extremely detrimental to to concentrate on year on year but they're stuck in that i think they're using this because it furthers their narrative when it takes some time and uh i think you go back to the to the three-part framework for core pce inflation which is we think of as good an indicator as you can have for where inflation is going forward. You start with goods. With goods, we need to see continued uh, healing and supply conditions, supply side conditions. They've definitely improved a substantial amount. But if you talk to people in business, they will say it's not back to where it was. So that's that's one thing, and that should enable goods prices to continue, goods because inflation to continue to come down over time. In terms of uh, oh, he messed up. He said goods prices. I mean, goods inflation to come down. No, he meant goods prices. Housing services inflation, uh, that's another big piece. And, and you are seeing there that new rents, new, new leases are, are, are coming in at, at low levels. And it's really a matter of time as that goes through the pipeline. In fact, I think any forecast that people are making right now about inflation coming down this year will, will, will contain a big dose of this year and next year will contain a, a, a good amount of, of uh, disinflation from that source. And, and that's again probably going to come slower than we would affect that leaves you know the big sector which is a little more than half <clears throat> pardon me of the uh, of core pc inflation that's non-housing services and you know we see only the earliest signs of disinflation there it's a sector it's a very broad and diverse sector i would say in a number of the parts of that sector the largest cost uh, would be wage costs it's the service sector so it's it's heavily labor intensive and uh, I think many analysts would say that the key to getting inflation down there is to have a continuing loosening in labor market conditions, which we have seen. We have actually seen, you know, uh, I go through a number of indicators suggesting there has been some loosening in labor market conditions. We need to see that continue. I would almost say that the none of this adds up to why they needed to pause, though. I wonder if this guy will hold his feet to the fire. The conditions that we need to see in place to get inflation down. Are, are coming into place and that would be 
grow, growth meaningfully below trend. It would be a labor market that's loosening. It would be goods uh, pipelines getting healthier and healthier and that kind of thing. They're, they're, the things are in place that we need to see, but the process of that actually working on inflation is going to take some time. Mm. So just going back to that question, um, remember the guy asked, everything looks good. Like, why would you need a pause? <laughs> why, what, what's your narrative? And he spelled out like this complex scenario that didn't add up to why they need a pause. But I will answer it for him. <laughs> this is what I would say. Like, if he were being honest, he'd be like, well, the market has been sticky. Like, we can't seem to get the 10-year and the five-year and the two-year to budge anymore. Uh, there could be some problems in the underlying uh, treasury market, in the repo market. And so we don't, we don't want to, um, like, cause any more uncertainty right now. We want to pause and wait and see what happens. Like, that's what he would say if he were honest. They're following the market. Okay, they, they like to hide it between, you know, with all this flowery language and all this stuff, but it's very simple. They just follow the market and they try to massage things with their signaling. And right now they're like, okay, we need to pause because we're uncertain. The market is uncertain. If we keep raising, perhaps the market crashes and yada, yada, yada. So they, they're just following exactly what the market is expecting of them. And that's what I would say. So they, they paused because the market thought they were going to pause, period. <clears throat> Nick Tamaros of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Chair Powell, what's the value in... This is the Fed whisper, current Fed whisper. In pausing and signaling future hikes versus... Uh, just hiking now. I mean, not to be flippant, but I don't lose weight just by buying a gym membership. I have to actually go to the gym. 16 of your colleagues put down a higher year-end 23 rate today. A majority of you think you're going to have to go up by 50 basis points this year. So why not just uh, rip off the Band-Aid and raise rates today? So the first, I would say that the, the question of speed is a separate question from the question from the from from that of level. Okay, so um, and I think if you look at the SEP, that is our estimate, our individual, it's really accumulation of our individual estimates of how far to go. I, I mentioned how, how we got to those numbers. In terms of speed, it's, it's what I said at the beginning, which is speed was very important last year. As we get closer and closer to the destination, and according to the SEP, we're not so far away from the destination in most people's accounting, uh, it's it's reasonable, it's common sense to go a little slower, just as it was reasonable to go from 75 basis points to 50 to 25 at every meeting. And so uh, the committee thought overall that it was appropriate to moderate the pace, if only slightly. And there are benefits to that. So that gives us more information to make decisions. We may try to make better decisions. I think it allows the economy a little more time to adapt as we as we make our decisions going forward and we'll get to see uh you know we haven't really we don't know the full extent of of the consequences of the banking turmoil that we've seen we, we it would be early to see those but we don't know what the extent is we'll have some more time to see that unfold i mean it's, a, it's just the idea that we're trying to get this right and uh th this is uh, if you think of the two things as separate variables then i think i think that the, the skip i shouldn't call it a skip the the decision um I shouldn't call it a skip. Oh, 
I wonder what happened to the markets when he made that slip up. Let me go and see. Wow, that was a slip up. Well, markets are back up, guys. So let's keep watching, and then I'll share the screen to the the markets here. Uh, Makes sense. I know you said July is live with only one uh, June employment, uh, with only the June employment and the CPI report for June uh, due to be released before the July meeting. You get the ECI after, you get the senior loan officer survey after, you get some bank earnings at the end of next month. What incremental information will... You get the PCE but at the end of this month too. ...will the committee be using to inform their judgment on whether this is in fact a skip or a, a longer pause? Well, I think you're adding that to the, to the data that we've seen since the last meeting, too. We, you know, we, since we chose to maintain rates at this meeting, is it'll really be a three-month period of data that we can look at. And I think that's a full quarter, and I think you can, you can draw more conclusions from that than you come from any, six, any six-week period. We'll look at those things. We'll also look at the evolving risk picture. We'll look at what's happening in the financial sector. We'll look at all the data, the evolving outlook, and we'll make a decision. And they'll follow the market. Thanks for taking our questions. Judith Smilich, New York Times. I'll pause it right on this lovely lady's face. But um, there's a difference between their rate decision and the narrative. So you can see that they paused, but their narrative is that there will be more tightening. See? So it's almost like, Watch what they do, not what they say. Watch what they do, not what they say. There's two different things. And the narrative is what they are trying to push. Because the rate really doesn't matter all that much. They're going to follow the market with that. Uh, If you just look at the history of these rate hikes, the reason why they were so fast at the beginning was because the market was already outpacing them. The market was already shooting up in it. The interest rates were already shooting up six months before the Fed started raising rates. Let's see if I can, I'll keep it paused here because she's a good, good looking lady, but let's go to, I'm going to bring up the two year. Okay. And I'm going to go to the weekly chart. And take it off a log, but I'm going to put on the Fed funds. Okay. And try to get it all here. Okay, now I'm going to put the date range in here. 22 weeks. That's not quite half a year. But I'm going to share this with you guys now into Telegram. Um, I'll do it separate from the live stream thing but you can see that back if you look at that chart it's back at the beginning of the rate hike cycle the two-year was already way up there let's see how far how high it was when they started raising rates so march 2022 when they started raising rates the two-year was already at one and a half percent they had a lot of catching up to do And by the time they went to 75, the rate was up, the two-year rate was up at uh, 2.6%. 
So let me draw these arrows in here. So this one, this is what I'm looking at. So their speed was because they were so far behind. And then up here, when it started getting close and this distance actually turned negative, they started slowing down. So I'm going to share that. So those arrows are what I'm looking at. Like they, they were way behind the eight ball here. And the reason why rates go up is not because the Fed raises rates. It's because money is being loose or money is loosening or is loose at that time. And what happened, you know, th that was a result of all the stimmy checks going out and the very, very, very high nominal GDP. Nominal GDP was burning hot at 10%. Money was loose. Rates were rising. Fed had to get, get control of this narrative and catch up quick. Now they've caught up. Now the two years actually below the Fed. I should have added an arrow on the far right showing that rates will probably come down now. And then they'll have to be forced to follow. I will do that actually. Let me, oh, let me scoot out here a little bit. I'm going to show some more of that and then do a path. So wait, let me do a red line to show that they are holding this steady. I mean, this is not good when you look back at history, what happens when they pause. Um, okay, I think what could happen is we see this type of thing. So posted in there now, and you can see that the two-year could continue going down. We have something of a head and shoulders here as well, actually. Um, holy crap, let me do that real quick, too. Uh, so there's the head and shoulders. Now I'm going to post that one, too. And it could get out of hand and then you know they're gonna follow they followed on the way up they're gonna follow on the way down and if we go back in history that's exactly what powell has done that is what the markets have done so take a look at this this is going back to the last 2018 again still the two-year you can see it's above the fed funds range and then when it dives down, it keeps going and the Fed takes a few months, maybe if, like a meeting or two to, to react, but they have to start reacting and cutting rates. Then they have to try to get ahead of it again. This is their MO. They follow the, what the market is doing. But while I'm here, let me take a look at these markets because S&P 500 is back completely recovered. Let's see. So here's the S&P 500. And you can see, went down, closed that gap like I was talking about during the live stream. And now we have pretty much retraced the whole way up. Uh, let's take a look at Bitcoin. Not a lot in this one. So anyway, I'll be watching that. Let's get back to this fine young lady. 
and listen what she asks. You obviously, in your forecast, marked up the sort of path for growth, marked down the path for unemployment, marked up the path for inflation pretty notably. I wonder, you know, since March, what has changed to make you think that the economy is a lot more resilient and inflation is going to be a lot more stubborn? And given that, you know, why do you feel confident that this is as high as you're going to have to revise the federal funds rate? Or do you think it's possible we could have even a higher than 5.6 percent terminal by the end of this this cycle? Another interesting question, again, going back to, look, you revised all these things to a worse outlook, even though like the economy is doing okay, but your revisions are like worse. Why pause? Why pause? It doesn't make any sense. I think this is going, they are going, uh, like the pundits or the analysts are going to look at this as a messaging failure by the Fed. They're trying to balance too many things. This is a messaging failure. They should not have put that dot plot higher. I think that's going to be not good for them. I mean, stocks and bonds should react like I have said, but we have to wait and see on that. But yeah, I think this is going to be seen as a messaging failure. You know, I, I mean, on the first part, uh, I just think we're following the data and also the outlook. The economy is the labor market, I think, has surprised many, if not all analysts over the last couple of years with its extraordinary resilience, really. Uh, and um, it, it's, it's just remarkable. And that's really uh, if you think about it, that's what's driving it's it's job creation. It's it's uh, wages moving up. It's it's supporting spending which in turn is supporting hiring. And it's, it's really the engine, it seems, that is, that is driving the economy. So it's, it's really the, the data. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, we, we always write down at these meetings what we think the appropriate terminal rate will be at the end of this year. <clears throat> that's, that's how we do it. Um, it's based on uh, our, our own individual assessments of what the most likely path of the economy is. It can, be, it can actually, in reality, wind up being lower or higher. And I, you know, there's really no way to know, but it's, it's, it is, it's, it's what people think as of today. There's no way to know. <laughs> uh, and as the, as the data come in, it, it can move around during the intermediate period. It could wind up back in the same place, but it really will be data driven. I can't. Again, just listen to what he says here. They're, they're data driven. They follow the market. They don't know where the data is going. It could go this way or that way or this way or that way because Guess what? We don't mechanically do anything. We follow the market. We try to narrative manage this thing. That's what he's saying here. People just need to read between the lines or at least listen to what they're saying. I can't tell you that that I ever have a lot of confidence that we can see where the where the federal funds rate will be that far in advance. Mr. Chairman, thanks for taking my question. Um, you had said back at the end of May this will be the last one, guys. That you thought risks were getting closer to being into balance. Is that still the case, or has your mind changed about the balance of risks out there? And also, could you give us an idea of what would be a sufficiently restrictive funds rate? Is the Obviously, the current rate, according to the committee, is not sufficiently restrictive. Is it 5-6? Is it 6? Where is it sufficiently restrictive? Thank you. Um, you know, I, I would say again that I think. Okay, I'm going to cut it there because this is not going to be, it's not a good question. Um, and I don't think we'll get anything new out of that. So guys, thank you for hanging out with me. I see that we got quite a few people in here. Maybe next time I'll just do this on the main live stream as well. 
but uh, I was going to cut it off and just do a written reaction in the Telegram, but decided to share the screen and get it going. So I appreciate you guys hanging out. Um, what I, I did record this, and I'll get the audio recording of this extended and make this into the podcast form. Maybe I'll get that out tomorrow. So uh, thank you guys, and hope you have a good rest of the day. Appreciate all the shares and the likes and the support out there for my stuff. It is very unique. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I think I have a very uh, unique perspective that has, you know, my thesis is working out very well. It's very, very accurate. So anyway, I appreciate all the shares and likes and all that. So, all right, guys, we'll see you on the next one. Bye.